RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. And welcome to another episode of RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. Today, we have Dr. Marcus Tellez. He is a family medicine doctor working in LA. He focuses on LGBTQ health and family medicine. Um, We had such a lovely chat. He is a really funny, smart, wonderful person. And if you follow his Instagram, dr.tellez, T-E-L-L-E-Z. If you follow him or you follow me because I forward a lot of the things that he posts, his Instagram is so creative and beautiful and funny and smart. And it's mixed in with um, medicine and he just puts it all together in such like a perfect package that it's like interesting. And I learn a lot when I look, so he, his account is one of my favorite accounts. So, um, we had just such a lovely chat, so I'll stop talking your ear off and here we go. If you want to maybe start just by like introducing yourself and then we can go from there. Okay. I'm Marcus Tellez. I am a family medicine physician. Just recently finished my residency with a strong interest in LGBT and HIV health. Awesome. I saw you did something for, was it World AIDS Day or you did something else? And that's what kind of drew my attention to this because I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much about this topic that I have no idea about. Yeah. I mean, for a while now, I've been trying to use my social media platform to just talk about a lot of health topics that are not often discussed, whether due to sexual sort of restraints that we have in society or stereotypes, what have you, and just sort of bring it to light, make it more of a commonplace topic. Definitely. Yeah, that's very important. And especially because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this, obviously, is because again, I don't know a lot about this topic, but I would imagine that the health outcomes of the LGBTQ community are worse. I mean, I know the trans community definitely, which I've worked with directly. We have like a trans team. We have like surgeons and, you know, we have a team that we work with directly at my hospital. So that's kind of my only, you know, experience. But I know definitely their outcomes before they meet our team, like traditionally our worse. Yeah, of course. They tend to be lower socioeconomic status, less access to health care, and just a lot of other psychiatric traumas, psychological traumas just due to the everyday stuff in society, not to mention healthcare. I mean, even right. in healthcare, there's a lot of them that face a lot of discrimination when they walk into an ER, walk into a doctor's office. So it's hard for them. 
Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what got you started in this and what, what do you want to do with it? Yeah, I, (laughs) it just sort of happened. Like I, I always wanted to be in healthcare, whether it was any aspect of healthcare, but I really wanted to help other people. But also as you go through medicine, you find out the larger sort of bigger picture of medicine is not just helping people. There's a lot of cogs in the machine, but I was just really interested in medicine. So I went to that school. I did all that stuff. And then actually I thought I was going to do OBGYN and I didn't get matched. So then I did that whole process, which was its own nightmare. And then I ended up in family medicine. (laughs) And so in OB, I was really focused on wanting to do transgender health and Mm -hmm. HIV health still. But then when I matched into family medicine, I was like, well, I can still do the whole gambit of LGBT health. So that was how that sort of came out. And then I had also at the same time read an article from a medical magazine talking about how there's so much health disparities within the LGBT plus community. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is perfect. Like this is right up my alley. Yeah. And then so sort of like the same year that I finished medical school, was going to start residency. I was like, I don't really use my Instagram. Like what are people doing with Instagram nowadays? Mm -hmm. And like, you see all these like healthcare influencers, some more questionable than others. Yeah. (laughs) But but I was like, I saw a lot of, a lot of people doing good with it. And then a lot of people selling like other products. I was like, you know, if, if healthcare people can get into social media and sort of use their power as healthcare people, like, why don't I do it for something that I'm passionate and interested about? So for the past four years now, I've been using my platform to talk more about LGBT health, sexual health, HIV, just sort of topics that even healthcare providers are afraid to ask their patients and sort of try to normalize that for people. Definitely. Yeah. I'll be frank with you. You know, before I worked with this team, I never really had any kind of experience. You know, I mean, now that I work in New York City, it's a little bit different. But before that, I really had like almost no information given to me. I had absolutely no idea. And I think it's really cool what you're doing. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. And first of all, your Instagram is just fun in general. Like everything, information aside, like I just love watching your stories (laughs) because they're hilarious and amazing. And I'm always like, I, I... sure you saw I'm like I'm always like stealing his filters because like he always has the best ones because you do (laughs) thank you yeah I don't know for for the first bit of it I'm like I was trying to like get the hang of like what people do with their social media right yeah and so like for a while I was just all like information 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 and like that's that's good but it doesn't in reality doesn't always engage people right so I think it's important to, as cliche as it sounds, you just have to be yourself because that's yeah. how you keep people engaged, right? Like nobody right. just wants like slideshow after slideshow of information. 
Right. Definitely. I, I struggle with that too, honestly, because this topic, I think a lot of people with like doctors and nurses and like, you know, relationships between us and like, how Mm -hmm. can we fix this stuff? It's interesting. And I think a lot of people are interested in it because it affects your day to day. But if it's just like you said, like a PowerPoint, like Mm -hmm. then it's just a lecture and then you could have just taken a class. Like that's not actually engaging. And you know, the point is to like, I I hate the word influencer, but the point Mm -hmm. is to actually influence people. If you're doing it right, maybe not to buy products, but actually to think about how they interact in their life, you know? No, absolutely. And that's what I love about your stories too. It's that, I mean, it's a bit of you, but it's also just everybody's perspective in the healthcare Mm -hmm. sort of structure. Like, I'm family medicine, so I'm more focused in outpatient. But even when I was doing my inpatient training, there's so many perspectives from hospital to hospital that completely vary. And I think mm-hmm. it's so great that you you show everybody's perspective in that way. Because it's it's not it's not good if we always have like a one-sided view of how things work. Yeah, definitely. Like today we're talking about codes and these people mm-hmm. are blowing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, all the nurses run all of your codes, really? Because that is not how we do it, like at all. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in the future, what do you, what do you, what are your plans? Are you going to open like a clinic or what do you, what would you like to do? So, I just finished residency and mm-hmm. towards the end of the residency, that's when I started looking for jobs. For a while, I actually thought I was going to do hospitalist medicine, but then I was like, like, I like being in the hospital, but outpatient is where I really, really like it. Yeah. So, I started looking for jobs and like, I'm not the most like PC or like <laughs> yeah, doctor figure, right? Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not how I always like, I paint my nails. Like yeah. I'm just not the most like professional physician that people stereotypically think of. Right. Yeah. A traditional so, like, physician. Yeah. yeah. So like looking for jobs was interesting in that aspect because like that's what people look for still right mm-hmm. but actually small world because of instagram i ha- i was on vacation in california to see my family and somebody that i knew through instagram never met in person was like oh hey you're in la why don't you come check out our practice mm-hmm. it's a mostly gay men's practice but we have the whole spectrum of lgbt straight people whatever in between mm-hmm. and i think you would really like it and so I visited and it's just, it just went from there. Like it was wow. fantastic. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. So I started in September and so I've been there for a few months now and I love it. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you were looking for jobs, did you feel pressured to act like more traditional or dress more traditional for your interviews or did you want to show them like right off the bat like if if you're not into this like this is yeah. not for you <laughs> at this point in my life like being hitting 30 I was just like you know what I don't care anymore like yeah I did I did undergrad I did med school I did residency I was like you know I've I've conformed as best as I can throughout this whole process. But like, if I'm going to do this the rest of my life, like it needs to be something that I fully can be myself in. Definitely. So at that point I was just like, 
if <laughs> if this isn't what you're looking for, then that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did the same thing when I turned 30. I was just like, okay, I am who I am. I It was like really liberating. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I grew up around, you know, in like, I mean, I was like basically middle schooler, I guess, when the, it was like the late 90s when like Thin was in and, you know, all of these like stick figure on the mm-hmm. catwalk and whatever. And I've never looked like that, you know, that I hit 13 and I got hips, you know, and I was just like, <laughs> hated my body for so long. And then I hit 30 and I was like, oh, actually like, this is awesome. Like, what the yeah. heck am I talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, It's like so refreshing. I was like, you know, everybody says like, oh, you're 20s. And I hit 30 and I was like, oh, self-love now. Like, that's way better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So describe like your new role. And I, I don't want to put you on the spot or make you talk about like, you know, your specific practice, you know, just give me like general, whatever you feel comfortable. You said the clinic is going to be geared towards everybody, but it's specifically focusing on like gay men's health. Like what does that look like exactly? So the practice that I'm with has been around for like over 30 years. Like a lot of the providers there were in the front of the AIDS crisis back when it was going on in the eighties. So it's just it's maintained a lot of that population and a lot of the patients that have been there since the beginning of the practice who went through the AIDS crisis and now are now survivors on mm-hmm. really good medications that have been developed over the years. So we have a lot of those patients and then, of course, just new patients, young, healthy LA people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the clinic is also great in that it has a, a research department as part of the clinic. So they've actually helped with a lot of clinical trials for new HIV medications over the years. Wow. So being part of that was like, like a historical amazing. sort of thing for me. Yeah, that's really cool. It, it's kind of amazing to me how much has been done in like the last 20 years. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I have patients who have lived with HIV, you know, for decades and they mm-hmm. are absolutely fine and they take their meds and they're, there's absolutely no problem. And it's kind of remarkable, like you said, from versus during the 80s. I mean, when oh, it was yeah. just like an absolute crisis. Oh yeah. And it's like, I don't know how it is in with nursing school, but like even in medical school, like we didn't learn hardly anything about HIV. And like, I feel like that's such a huge part of what has happened in this country. And Mm -hmm. so for it to be just like a little blip on our curriculum, I was just like so shocked as I like went through school and training. Absolutely. That's how it was for me too. It was sort of just like, oh, side note, this happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I didn't fully understand actually until I started working with some of the older nurses here in the city and Mm -hmm. they worked on some of those units. And actually the COVID unit, the first COVID unit that we opened for my hospital, it's a unit that we only use for like crisis management. So like during Ebola, they opened it, like it's only for that. And it was the HIV AIDS unit in the 80s. And when we went there to work for COVID, the older nurses were like having flashbacks and they really had like an emotional response to being there because of all those patients that they took care of during that time. And that's, I guess, when I really felt the gravity of the situation because it it was so heavy for them, you know, and they were the caretakers, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being the patient or the family. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just incredible that 
it went from that to where it is now today, where you can be on medications and you don't have to worry about passing it to anybody else. I think that was one of the big things for me because I, U equals U for anybody who doesn't know what that means. Undetectable means untransmittable. So if you are on good HIV medications, you can have your viral load down to undetectable and you cannot transmit the virus to anybody else. Wow. And that was not something I ever learned in medical school. Like that was something I found out after the fact. And I was just like, how is this not like talked about more often? Like there's such a stigma still with HIV. And I feel like if, if U equals U was talked about as often as like the negative things about HIV was like, there would be so much less stigma around it. Definitely. Yeah. I'm sure it's directly tied into the bias that exists in medicine and, Mm -hmm. you know, the traditional, I'm sure you've felt it or heard it. I mean, I've heard other healthcare workers, you know, talk badly about a patient or their life choices and it's messed up. Like, what are you doing? You know? So I think these conversations are really important. Like that shouldn't exist. And our patients need to feel safe in our care and understood in our care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So like when you're taught, when you were asking about like what my overall goal is, like I think my goal has just been to sort of normalize these topics because like, I like what I do and I like my job. I like being a physician, but I don't think, I'm not the kind of person who's going to come up with some like groundbreaking discovery and not everybody has to be one of those people. Right. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But I want to sort of normalize these topics for people because they were never addressed to me when I was in school. And still there's around sex topics, like people are still super awkward when they're talking to their patients about sex. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) that's that's what this is about. It's part of the job. Yeah. They'll go in the room and they talk about poop. No problem. When did you poop? And what did it look like? And then it's like, you don't, I've seen providers, they like skip the, are you sexually active question? Uh And I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) It happens. It's just like, I don't, I mean, I know why, but it's just sex is still such a taboo thing, even in medicine. It's like, that's part of our jobs. Like you, you got to address those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, what was it like in your, I saw, was it your meme? I feel like I I saw it on your account where it it was like, whenever somebody mentions any like LGBTQ (laughs) topic and then like everybody looks at you, like, did you feel that like regularly? Like, how did that make you feel? You know, in med school, not so much because we didn't have any LGBT health topics that were ever done. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, like I, it was never anything that was like in a negative way with my group of residents. Like everybody was super kind, super supportive. Mm -hmm. It was more so of a joke for me just because regardless of whatever health topic it was, I would still try to find a way to tie in like an LGBT (laughs) health disparity. So like Uh if it was, um, 
I don't know, I can't think of something off the cuff, but like I would always find a way to sort of bring it in together. So it's like, yeah, we're talking about pancreatitis, but did you know that (laughs) (laughs) this population? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's really funny. (laughs) But I just, I just wanted to sort of incorporate it because as much as I love like standing on a soapbox of like LGBT health, like Mm-hmm. It's not like some like profound thing that you have to study harder or study more for. Like it should just be basic like medicine basic that care. everyone should learn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wonder why in 2020, why, like you're saying, like in med school, you had almost no topics. I mean, I wonder where's the push for that to incorporate some of those issues? I don't know. I know that uh, a lot of things are money driven. And so, I mean, unless you have voices out there that are advocating for this stuff, that's, that's where it ultimately comes down to, I think. And that's, I've, I've done a, a few like mini lectures for like, not for full med schools, but like for interest groups in med schools. And I like lecturing, I like talking, so I wouldn't mind doing more of that in the future. Mm -hmm. But I just would really, I just really want more people to talk about it because that's how you sort of make it mainstream, make it yeah, more. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I wonder, like you're saying, if it's money driven, which everything is, especially in healthcare, <laughs> right? I wonder if, if it has to do also with the fact that a lot of the LGBTQ community, I mean, there's a, there's an insurance disparity, there's an access disparity. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of that. So right there, there's less money in, oh, yeah. in some of this, Right. So, I mean, I feel like that's a lot of it right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, even healthcare insurance companies are like denying patients PrEP, like HIV PrEP, which is Mm -hmm. a medication that you take every day that can prevent HIV. But it's like uh, the things that the thing that kills me most about outpatient medicine are prior authorizations. So, like, (laughs) you tell the insurance, you tell the pharmacy you want this medication, and the pharmacy is like, okay, let me ask the insurance company. Then the insurance company is like, "Mm, are you (laughs) sure you need that? Mm." And then they ask you, though. (laughs) It's like, what? Right? Yeah. So, it's just like they'll deny something as like great as HIV prep, right? Like, it's, to me, like HIV prep is phenomenal despite this controversies and other people's opinions. Like there's a medication that you can take every day to prevent HIV, just like with birth control. There's a medication you can take every day to prevent pregnancy. And the fact that we, that insurance companies are like, "Mm, maybe you don't need that. It's like, what's going to cost you more in the long run? Right. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I actually saw this in the clinic setting once. I saw the resident advocating for their patient. The patient was not currently sexually active, but on PrEP. And Mm -hmm. I think he was having... I forget what, but the the attending was saying it might've been like a side effect basically. Mm -hmm. And it was mild enough, but the attending's point was like, just take him off prep. Just take, he's not sexually active. Just take him off of it. And I remember the resident and and it's such a weird dynamic between an attending and a resident already, right? Like he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to challenge the attending too much, but he was advocating for the patient just saying like, 
look, he's not sexually active right now. But when I interviewed him, you know, it was kind of around the holidays and Mm -hmm. he, he was saying like, maybe he would go out for New Year's with like a group and like there was a person he was interested in, you know, and like, why take him off of it? Why not just, he's not asking to come off of it. He, and he's saying like, I might become sexually active again. So what is your motivation kind of, Mm -hmm. of like, why are you pushing this so hard to take him off of it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's just the, the being uncomfortable with those sort of topics still, like I'll have friends, uh, this is anecdotal, but like mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who will go to primary care providers and they're like, oh, I would like to start prep or they're already on prep. And then the provider just assumes like, oh, why, when I was asking you the history and physical, why didn't you tell me you had HIV? And they're like, I don't have HIV. I, I'm taking a medication mm-hmm. to prevent HIV. Yeah. yeah. And so even with something as like, for me, PrEP is like such a like commonplace, like everybody knows what PrEP is, but they don't. Like it's still a thing that provide older providers like still don't know about. Definitely. And I think like you and I, we have the experience of like, you live in LA, I live in New York. So like even my experience is probably better than most nurses experience Mm -hmm. where like, if you're talking about a smaller rural area, I doubt very seriously that these patients are getting, you know, <laughs> any yeah. kind of care that really represents them, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. But like I said, we have the trans, I, I'm trying to think of what they call it. It's a team. It's actually plastics team, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. It's it's a plastics team and they come in and they have their own clinic and it's really supportive. It's like, re- it's really amazing actually these doctors that they made this little group and they wanted to, this is what they wanted to do. And they opened their own like offshoot. They were mm-hmm. in our hospital and now they've actually moved offices. And we only get the patients like really like pre-op, post-op just for that kind of, you know, perioperative care. And then they go mm-hmm. right back to them. And the kind of like, I've seen the the application and the the criteria for the, even the nursing staff who works there. And like, they're rigorous. Like they're like, you have to have like a lot of education before you even step foot in the facility and you have to. And I think that that is like really a great solution. I mean, I feel like that's a, a safe place, but yeah. those types of facilities are like really few and far between. Oh yeah. Super, super rare. I, I did my residency in Gainesville, Florida. So unless it's like, very rural middle of yeah. it's a college town but like the surrounding area is very rural mm-hmm. so even there there wasn't a lot I didn't have a lot of trans patients but there was a one endocrinology clinic and they didn't just have exclusively trans patients but one of the providers went out of her way and made a trans like day every few weeks so that mm-hmm. and a special place in their clinic so because it's rural Florida so that they could have a place where they felt safe and comfortable coming to, to get healthcare mm-hmm. because it's not always the easiest for them, whether it's yeah. access or just being comfortable around people. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, because I used to work urology clinic and mm-hmm. we would have to get, I think that that facility would have to get like a urology consult to do, you know, any kind of procedure. So mm-hmm. we would see some of their patients in the urology clinic and just simple things like 
using the proper pronouns and using the proper mm-hmm. name and like things like that. It really, I, I've seen it up close. It can really put someone off and it can really make yeah. them, if you, you, it's not that hard, right? A no, it's is, not. It's, it's not. not and that's what blows my mind. Like, yeah, I, I would have such an issue with people in the emergency room and I get it. Like the emergency room is a stressful place, but what, even when it was like low, relaxed and like not a stressful situation, I would just like hear the things that they say to the patients and like, listen, like, <laughs> I don't know anything about sports, but like people in Florida are big on sports. So it's like, you could memorize the name of every like football yeah. player, what their <laughs> stats are and all this information about them. All you have to do is call them by the pronoun that they prefer or the name they prefer. Like, it's very easy. Like, it's very simple. Yeah. <laughs> and we literally ask, like, what do you prefer? It's right there. It's on the chart. Yeah. Like, what, why can't you just do it? So it, it just kind of begs the question, like, do you want to do it? Like, are you yeah. trying, you know, maybe not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, people make such, it's funny because like, people will feel uncomfortable talking about things regarding sex. But then with, with trans health, people who are opposed to it, they make a big deal about genitalia, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you can't be uncomfortable talking about it with your patients, but then try to make other people feel uncomfortable because they don't identify the way that you think that they should. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because they're the first ones to say like, oh, well, what's what's going on in there? Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, is it there? Or is it not? You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, but wait, you can't ask the sexual health questions, but like mm-hmm. you can ask like, if they're, if they've had surgery or not, like that's a really personal question and also kind of irrelevant unless mm-hmm. you're actually dealing with that procedure. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. So I just, I think people pick and choose what they want to like yeah. get frustrated on or be ignorant on. And it's just like, we all went into healthcare to like, regardless of the underlying reasons, our job is to help people. And so like, why would you like go out of your way to make a patient feel uncomfortable or miserable? Definitely. Yeah. And we already have an issue with patients feeling comfortable in general, and then Mm -hmm. you're going to ostracize a patient population that's even more, you know, prone to violence and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's, it's kind of, terrible. Like these are the same nurses that, uh, I mean, I'm speaking from a nursing perspective mm-hmm. just because I'm a nurse, yeah. but I, these are the same nurses that I'll hear them say things like, oh, if we get, you know, a murderer or whatever, like we take care of everyone. And this kind of Florence Nightingale kind of bullshit, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and then like, you're just being asked to use the proper pronoun and you're like, oh, that's difficult for me. You know, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. So anyway, I think that that clinic sounds amazing. You you grew up in LA? No, I grew up in Florida. Actually, uh, yeah, I'm from, I'm born and raised in Florida, went to undergrad, med school and residency in Florida. I've gone to LA a bunch because I have family out here. And it's just pretty pretty too. Yeah, (laughs) it is. And then this is just like where I ended up for work. 
Yeah. I actually was visiting right before the pandemic. I had been, I had never been to LA ever. I'd never been to California. And then in like January, I went. And then in March, I had a little time off. I was like, I'm going back to LA. Like all of a sudden, I got like this bug where I was like, I want to be there all the time. And then I was actually, I had tickets again to go in April, but then, you know, everything shut down. So I couldn't go. And so I'm just like every day, like dreaming of LA. Like, like, I was like staying in Santa Monica and I'm like, I just want to be there all the time now. So I don't know. We'll see. Like maybe this tiny apartment might not be working in the future. I might see you on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love New York, but yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to keep up in New York. I did one month rotation there in December. I remember I was in the Bronx and then like the first day it snowed, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then after the first day, I was over it. (laughs) Yeah, that's how everybody is here. And it's not like, like I'm originally from Michigan and Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, it snows there and it's like the woods and the snow stays in the woods and it's nice. Here, it's like it snows and it's beautiful and then it turns brown immediately. Like it's so disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I always loved New York so much and I I still do. I have like a lot of love for the energy and the people here. And Mm -hmm. I I grew here. I mean, this is like almost home to me more than Michigan now. I like, I I feel like I relate more to this, you know, type of environment more, but it's hard. It's like, it's a lot of concrete and it's a grind. And I went to LA and it was like, it, it felt to me like, oh, you don't have to, it's not black or white, right? Like you can have access to things and you can mm-hmm. have culture and you can have good food and good music and you can be by the ocean and you can be mm-hmm. by the mountains and like you can go hiking. It just seemed like healthier to me than like here yeah. where I'm like <laughs> trudging to the subway every day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely a big change from Florida. Like the heat's not so bad because Florida humidity is like 10 times worse. Yeah, Um, it is. Yeah. 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 My grandma used to live in Florida and Mm -hmm. I remember you'd get out of the shower and you put your towel up and like five hours later, it's still wet. And I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So LA's definitely been a big, a big change from Florida, but I'm really happy. I have great coworkers. I'm in an environment where I can be myself. I can wear what I want to work. I can paint my nails. Yeah. I was going to ask you that because on your stories, I see like you had like a sequin jacket or something. It was like amazing. And (laughs) I, and then you were like, this is like, I didn't expect to wear this as a doctor. And I was going to ask you that question. Like, is there, is there a dress code? Like they just want you to be whatever you want to (laughs) wear. No dress code. I mean, obviously to a certain extent, right? Like I can't, come in in a crop top and like some booty shorts. (laughs) (laughs) No, but actually during COVID, they sort of went to like a a more casual attire. Mm -hmm. So scrubs, a t-shirt and some dress pants, what have you. Yeah. And so, yeah, actually it was really funny. I bought that. I bought the sequin jacket. It like shifts. So like you rub it, it turns from like green, black and all these colors. Yeah. And I bought it like during my first round of like exams during med school and it was way overpriced and I shouldn't have bought it, but it's fine. I'm (laughs) I'm already in debt. (laughs) So I bought it. (laughs) And then, so like I have it, but like I've never like worn it to like work or like rotations or anything. And then Mm -hmm. one day I was like, you know what? It's cold. 
I don't want to iron any clothes today. I'm going to put on a t-shirt and this jacket and that's what I'm going to wear to work today. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. So you grew up in Florida. Like, did you have like any kind of like actual, did you have any kind of like culture shock, like moving to LA or because you have family there, you, you like were used to it or is it really different? I don't know. I, you know, and maybe the culture shock would have been different if there was, if it was like not, COVID pandemic. Like if I was like having to go out and meet people and have social situations, but like, I'm mostly a homebody anyway. So like I'll go and do my outdoor activities. I'll do some hiking and like isolated places. And then I can just like chill at home and it's fine for me. So that aspect is not because of the times, like it's not that big of a culture shock yet right now. Yeah. How was COVID for you? You were finishing residency. Yeah. How was that? So it's all like such a weird, like time capsule for me. So like I was here in December last year, hanging out with my family, doing the interview for this job. And then at the same time, that's when people were talking about China and things going on there. It's like, "Uh hope it stays isolated. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) January comes, March comes. And I was working in the ER in March. And I remember there were certain things televised, speeches given saying that there will be widespread testing available. And Mm -hmm. so then that day I was in the ER and we got slammed with people like coming in saying, hey, I heard on the television that there's going to be plenty of COVID tests. I want to get tested, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I have none. Like right. I don't have anything. Like, like zero. I don't, I don't even yeah. know like what what swab we're supposed to use, who we're sending right. it to. I have nothing. Right. And then I I did one admi- one last admission before I went home one night and this guy came in with his blood pressure like in the 200 systolic. Mm-hmm. And he had a fever. But we were just like, his wife's like, oh, he ran out of his meds like a week ago. He hasn't been taking them. He won't see his doctor. Why he has a fever, we don't know. I was like, okay, weird. No cough, no URI symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then I find out later on that he's in the ICU, like intubated with COVID. I was like, oh, okay. That's what this is. That's what, yeah. yeah. That's that's how this is going to happen. Like, yeah. No, you have symptoms. You just have a fever, and your blood pressure is terrible. But mm-hmm. okay. So then, obviously, saw more and more. I don't know. I think the way hospitals have handled COVID has just shed a light on a lot of terrible things. Mm-hmm. I know everybody's handled it differently. I was really lucky in that my program. They do not want residents seeing COVID patients, mostly to save on PPE for other people who were going to be more productive with the COVID patients. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's been a big shock just to see how unprepared this entire country was with everything. Yeah. From from protecting nurses, from providing quality PPE to people, to people reusing things like it's obviously still an ongoing issue but Mm -hmm. that was like such a that was a bigger culture shock for me (laughs) than Mm -hmm. than coming to LA was just seeing how poorly managed all of this was 
And Ter- terrible. Uh, and how do we not have stockpiles of this stuff in case of a pandemic? Like, how was that not thought about in advance? I don't understand. Yeah. I would have thought there was some kind of emergency planning within this, but I guess not. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. And then just, it's, yeah, there's just so much chaos to it. People not knowing what size masks they are. And then if they do, there's not the right size that they need. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been like absolutely crazy. And do you guys have testing now where you're at? Are you doing yes. COVID tests? Yeah. Yeah. So back in March, after they found out that the patient had COVID, I had to isolate for two weeks. I didn't get tested because they had enough tests, but I, I had some URI symptoms. I didn't have fever, but I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, we barely have any tests. Like I'm going to have to isolate anyways for two weeks. Like I'm not going to bother wasting a test. So I just like self-isolated, but yeah, they, they eventually started getting more tests where I'm at now. We have tests widely available. Mm -hmm. Did you get the antibody test? No. And I, (laughs) cause in residency, I just didn't have the time to, I, Mm -hmm. I haven't, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm a doctor, practicing doctor now. I haven't been to a doctor since like medical school. Yeah. <laughs> so I never, I never had the time to like go and get blood work, but I always thought about it. But then mm-hmm. residency ended and then I didn't have health insurance. And so I took a few months off before I started working here in LA. So then now I have health insurance and I could get it, but I've been like, it was March. Like the likelihood of me having any now is just like, Right. Right. Yeah. I was convinced that I had it. And like you're Mm -hmm. saying, I I wasn't tested because there was a a lack of testing in general and I wasn't deathly ill. I was, I was sick for about three weeks. I had like a dry cough and now I listen to, I have audio of that time and I listen to my voice and my voice sounds completely different. Like I, I think I was definitely sick, but I, I'm not sure if it was COVID or not. And then my antibody was negative. And so mm-hmm. I was like, well, I guess, I guess I didn't have it. But then again, who really knows? Yeah. I have no idea. You know, it's so. just such a, such a weird time for so many reasons, but it's just like, you know, for most disease processes, like, you know, you have this and this is what happens. And with mm-hmm. this, it's just like a crapshoot. Like you could have nothing. You could just have a cough. You could have a fever. You could be on a ventilator yeah. somewhere. It's just so drastic as to how varying it can be. Definitely. And I think that's why it's so confusing for the public too, because I comments, whenever I put COVID content, I always mm-hmm. get comments from people that are like, oh, I had it and I was fine. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's great. And I'm sure that's true, but that's not everyone either. And you have to understand that some people have really bad outcomes. I was I was talking about like that COVID toxic positivity and like, that's part of it. Like, just because that happened to your family, like that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that they're safe. But like, I've seen a lot of shit and like, so have you. And, you know, we, we've yeah. seen it up close. Like, please take it seriously, you know, but I don't know. The, the frustration with the people who don't want to wear masks and all this stuff, I'm just like, oh my God. Like, I just, I'm so frustrated in general. And like right. y- you pointed out, like, how are we not prepared? And And there was, it's just shed light on so many issues that were already a problem. And now we still have to deal mm-hmm. with this ongoing pandemic. So it's just like, 
it's a weird time to be a healthcare provider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it truly is. And you know, I, that's, I mean, I like doing the educational stuff that I do for LGBT health, but like, I wish, I wish there was a better way that we could educate like the general population, not just on COVID, but like, at least for me, when I was doing my training, the biggest gap that I felt for for patients in the hospital and their families was a lack of understanding, particularly with ICU patients, like mm-hmm. the trajectory of where things were going to go if they were going to go bad. Like, right. like, oh, they've been this person's been smoking for the whole life; they've been completely fine, and now why are they sick in the ICU and not doing well? And it's right. just like I don't know that there's a good way that we've been able to educate people on those sort of things, other than like oh, here's a tobacco commercial, don't smoke. Like, right. there's not been a good way that we've been able to educate people and like, what are these terrible outcomes that happen to a lot of people with COVID? Why that there's so many deaths with this COVID? Yeah. And I don't yeah. know the answer to that. Yeah, me neither. I mean, it, it's a really tough topic. And and then it it also begs the question of, you know, and this is a touchy subject too, when you have someone like you're describing, somebody who to us, we see these patients and we see the patterns and we we can kind of predict sometimes the outcome, right? Of a mm-hmm. of somebody who's intubated and somebody who's not recovering, their kidneys are failing now and it's it's just spiraling down, mm-hmm. right? And the family doesn't see that. They don't experience that daily like we do. They don't understand that, right? So then there's a whole separate conversation about now we're using a lot of heavy resources for Mm -hmm. this patient that we all really know is eventually going to pass away. And what are the ethics around that too, right? So it's like, you don't want to say, I understand if it's my family. I don't want to say like, oh, your family, like would just pull the plug, you know, like we're done. Mm -hmm. Like they need time to process. They need time to grieve. But like, where's the line exactly? Because I'm sure you've seen patients that, they're on event for weeks and weeks and mm-hmm. weeks while the family tries to come to grips with the situation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I wish, I wish we knew a better way that we could sort of help people through that process and give them a more informed idea of what's going on. And I just, I still don't know the right way to do it, but it, it would be fantastic to apply it to what's going on right now. Right. Right. Is, educating people on why masks are so important, why we should all sort of be isolating ourselves. And it's just frustrating. (laughs) It's very frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. What are you doing in your personal life because of COVID? COVID is ruining everything. Like, what are you doing? Are you dating? Are you seeing friends? Like, what's going on? I am trying to be responsible by only seeing a select few. So I have my cousins who I know that they're being responsible and between what they do for work and then just staying home, like, so I'm comfortable seeing them. I have a a friend or two that I see regularly, but I'm not trying to go out in public, going out to public dinners, like, especially, I don't know how it is in the in New York, but in LA, like there are a lot of outdoor eating places right now. And it's just <laughs> like, I get it. People want that sort of escape, but it's yeah. just like this thin little plexiglass thing. Like, honey, that's not going to do anything. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I saw a picture and it was like, it was a plexiglass like house basically that they had built and it had four walls and a door. And it was like, okay, so it's okay to eat out 
indoors outside. Like right. I was just like, yeah, that's what we're <laughs> that's where we're at now. I'm looking at these people and they're in the corner of one of these things. Talk to I'm like, this is the same thing as eating inside. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Even today, I went to a, a thrift store that was down the block to look at some stuff, and I'm at the cash register, and there's like a plexiglass like this wide. And literally I was like off to the side, still like a decent space from her. She's like, excuse me, sir, I'm going to need you to stand directly in front of the plexiglass while I check you out. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> this tiny little plexiglass is going to make all the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's helping you. Yeah, there's a deli down my block and I basically had to stop going there because the guy, he has kind of a similar thing. Like he has like a plexiglass and it actually covers like most of it. And then mm-hmm. he has like the little plastic thing so you can like put your you know card or your cash or whatever under it. But yeah. he's in there and then above him, there's nothing, right? It's just like air of, you know, mm-hmm. the ceiling. And he doesn't wear a mask. And- yeah. And I, I said, I said, you know, you're not wearing a mask. He said, Oh no, I have this. It's fine. You know? And I'm like, no, 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 my sweet baby. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. But yeah, it's so crazy. Anyway, is there anything you want to like promote or anything that you're going to be doing or anything like that? Do you want to shout anything out? Yeah. I mean, I would, my Instagram is my biggest thing. My little thing that I, my baby that I'd like to mm-hmm. utilize the most. I have been thinking a lot about other platforms because as much as I love the educational part, there's only so much that you can do on Instagram. So mm-hmm. some people were telling me to do a YouTube. So I was thinking about doing a YouTube channel. You definitely should do that. <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> Perfect. More motivation. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, really, it's just my Instagram at dr.telez. And then my YouTube is probably dr.telez something. But yeah, those are my big things. I just, I'm happy with what I do. I like my job. I like the people that I see and meet through social media. I'm glad I can have conversations with people like you about this stuff. It makes it all a little more worthwhile. It's not just like sitting, reading a textbook and... Trying to digest things that way. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, obviously, and that's why, again, you don't want to make it like a PowerPoint slide because people really don't learn that way. You know, they Mm -hmm. really learn by, you know, other people's perspective and their engagement. And and I, I think that that's really cool. And just even little simple things that you post sometimes that I don't think of and it it helps me understand and it helps me get more perspective so that I can serve my patients better. And so I really appreciate you. And anytime you want to talk, if you have a topic and, you know, we don't have, we don't have to talk about LGBTQ stuff. We can, you can come on and talk about heart failure or whatever, you know, (laughs) whatever you find interesting, you know, I would love to have you back or, or, you know, we could do a panel or something too. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time out. It's so nice to finally meet you. Oh yeah. No, thank you. I really, I love doing these things. I love meeting new people and hearing their perspectives in a healthcare setting. So I love what you do. I love all the stuff that you post. So thank you so much for having me and considering me for this. Oh, thank you. And when the pandemic's over, I'm going to fly to LA and we're going to get drinks. 
perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll let you go. I don't want to take up all your time, but thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay. Okay. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, any topics you'd like to submit, please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send them to our Instagram account, which is rnmdpodcast, or my personal Instagram account is the nocturnal nurse. Um, If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. We need the love right now. We're just getting started. Also, if you have any suggestions um, of how we can make this better, this is for you guys. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.